welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome to Great Shot Kid, the Nerd Party's podcast that looks at film from a number of different angles than you might be expecting. I'm John. And I'm Mike. And this week, we've got a special treat for you where we're going to be talking about one of our favorite filmmakers and an AMA that he did on Twitter recently. But before we get to that, of course, we want to uh, invite you to interact with the show on all of the socials. You can go over to Facebook.com slash The Nerd Party and interact with us there. You can go over to Twitter at Join Nerd Party. Go over to Instagram, The Nerd Party. And you can, of course... Use the hashtag GreatShotKid to let us know that you're thinking about us and would like to talk to us. And if you don't want to go through the socials, send us a private little note at thenerdparty.com slash contact and select GreatShotKid and we will get an email sent directly to us. So, you know, you know what, before yes. you, you get started, can I throw an audible here? Of course, throw an audible. I was going to mention this to you and, you know, whatever, okay. but just I think Please. it should be acknowledged. Um uh, Allison Shearmer, who oh yes, uh, she she was the producer of Rogue One and also Solo. She uh, passed away uh, this week, and you know, I, I mean, obviously as a producer, it's like you know we don't really know much about her from just looking at her movies or whatever. But I, I've there's been a lot of uh, you know kind of like um. I don't know, retrospective little notes and stuff like that, that, yeah. that people who have worked with her have posted online. And it sounds like everybody just absolutely adored her and, uh, you know, thought that she was an amazing producer and, you know, was a, a really, really great collaborator. Yeah. And, you know, uh, uh, just, I mean, before she was a producer, which, you know, she just kind of started producing recently. Um, she was an executive, you know, for studios and she was over at Universal. She was uh, the person who kind of put together the Bourne trilogy, you know, and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And then she went over to Lionsgate and she was kind of responsible for the Hunger Games movies. And That's right. She was. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, both both sets of, of people who worked on those two franchises say that, you know, she was really instrumental in, in getting them, you know, together and, and, and making them what they were. Then as a producer, she did uh, just a few movies, Cinderella, uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, Nerve, and then uh, Rogue One and, and now Solo, which is coming out, of course. Yeah. So... Yeah, no, so, yeah. I, I'm 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 glad you you did that. You're you're absolutely right um, because there are, of course, you know, different types of producers, even, and just based on everything that people have been saying since her passing, she wasn't just somebody who, you know, just you know said, "Oh, just make my movie and make me money." Like she was the type of person that was like, "What do you need? Can I get it for you? Try this idea." Like the the type of producer it seems that every creative would like to work with somebody who cares about getting their vision to screen as it were. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, and it was very sudden the way she, she died too. Yeah. People say, and she was, I guess she was sick for a while, but she didn't tell anyone about it because she didn't want it to get in the way of her work. She just wanted mm. to keep on working and not let it be a distraction. So no one knew that she was sick, even though she was, for a long time so oh, that's Sad. that's rough man that's uh yeah. 
Well, you know, I mean, she's made her mark. You know, oh, yeah. on the, on the entertainment industry, you know, the the modern entertainment industry, she's had a hand in some stuff that a lot of people have seen. So yeah, just those three franchises alone, you know, yeah, Born, Hunger Games, and and Star Wars. I mean, hey, that's huge. So that, that's extremely huge. That really yeah. is. So well, so Godspeed and thoughts and prayers and all of that stuff, right? Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Anyway, so you watched a movie this week. I did. Get out? No. Oh, I thought you were. No, I wasn't no. able to get to it. it that that's right. the uh that Never that's mind. the downside <laughs> of having kids and when one gets sick and you're kind of like, well, those evening plans are gone. Okay. Um, All right. Well, we'll get to that next yeah. week then. Yeah, so. we'll, we'll we'll I promise you we'll get to that next week. Okay. No, that this week, uh let's just kick it off, man, cuz I know that we'd both like to talk about this. Everybody knows that we're Paul Thomas Anderson fans. Yes. Right? And uh, you're probably more so than I am. I, I am a fan of everything that I've seen that he's done. I haven't seen everything that he's done. But yeah. I mean, yeah. for me, I mean, my, my, my go-to line, you know, is, yeah. I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson movies, that's the reason why there are movies that's all that matters. Every other movie is just there to kill time until his next movie comes out, you know? <laughs> well, so, yeah, I'm a fan. <laughs> and, and he's he's wonderfully, uh, he's actually, you know, I, everybody's read interviews with him and everything, but I've always been struck by his his humble sense of self where he says, you know, I, I'm the one when they, you know, when they want to say they released an art movie, they come get me. He's like, I'm the I'm at the bottom of the Rolodex. Like when when they come for me, he's like, oh, we need something arty. Call up Paul Thomas Anderson. He's like, I I know my place in the ecosystem here. I know how this but, works. Although I think that that's changed in recent years. You know, you look at his like early interviews, and he's like extremely full of himself. Back when he was, you know, like a 28 year old filmmaker taking Hollywood by storm. Now he's. Now people keep on bringing up quotes from earlier in his career, and he's like, <laughs> "I I didn't say that, did I?" <laughs> you know that yeah. kind of thing. So, but you know, he's someone who sort of leads. I mean, I, I don't think that he's like intentionally like reclusive, but he he's not someone who puts himself out there. He's not on social media or that sort of thing. So whenever he makes a new movie. He sort of like peeks his head out into you know the 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 world you know and and yeah. it's always kind of great to see him talk and one of the things which I love more than anything I mean it's great to hear him talk about the movie that he has coming out or whatever but I always love sort of like the little bits which are about other things like I, I'm I'm fascinated and not just with him but with like all filmmakers who I yeah. like and everything I'm fascinated with what movies they like and not just their influences because lots of times that's obvious but like what it is that they are inspired by which is coming out now you know that sort yeah. of thing and also just you know whatever their their reaction to the world in general so he did a Twitter Q&A as part of the, the if you go to at Phantom Thread, it's, it's in their twi- Twitter, uh, Twitter stream under the hashtag AskPTA. And some of his responses to the questions asked were kind of amazing. But also, there are things where, you know, the questions, while they're directed at him and his 
answers are obviously probably more interesting than ours. Like, I feel <laughs> like, you know, it does, it does start a good conversation, you know? So, I mean, you know, there's, there's some which, which, which I think are just, uh, I don't know, some which are just funny, some which are, are informative, but whatever they are. Well, I mean, okay, you know, for, for instance, some of, the, some of the questions that people ask, of course they ask about, you know, oh, how do you feel about Daniel Day-Lewis retiring? And he's like, oh, kind of sad. You know, we all are. You know, like Daniel Day-Lewis going away is like, that's a rough one. You know, he, you know the idea that he wouldn't be, I mean, I kind of want, in all honesty, I want him to like suddenly pull, you know, guest starring roles on sitcoms just just to mess with everybody's head, just to be like, ah, you know, just for fun. Yeah. But I um I think that one of the things that you uh drew my attention to was uh his choice of superhero adaptation, uh, if he were to make one. And what was his answer? Well, it was the question was something along the lines. I, I don't have that particular tweet right in front of me, but the question was something along the lines of, "What cartoon that your kids watch would you adapt into a movie?" And he said, "Teen Titans," which I've got to think, based on his kids' ages and everything, he's talking about Teen Titans Go. He probably doesn't know the difference, right? But I can't see him being like a huge fan of like the Teen Titans from like ten years ago, right? And have you seen Teen Titans Go? I have. It's gloriously insane. I love it. It, it is. It is completely unhinged, and I agree with you. That's what makes it lovable. It's just nuts. Like it used to always be on, like after like Clone Wars or something. So like I'd always you know like the recording would just keep on going and I'd see like the first five minutes of it and I'd just be like, this is amazing like this is I, I, don't, I don't even remember what show I was watching but I'd always be like this is way better than whatever it was that I was just watching like <laughs> and my wife's like what's wrong with you why are you watching this and my wife's like a huge Batman fan so I don't know why she was she or she is so resistant but you know like I talk about it with like these people at work who like grew up with the original. And they'd all be like, oh, they ruined it. Oh, that show's garbage. And it's like, yeah. what are you talking about? This show is amazing. And, you know, they've got a new movie coming out next summer. Teen Titans go to the movies. Yeah. And when I heard about that, I was like, oh, I'm going to just start watching all these. So I just started watching for the first time the entire series because it's on Hulu. And uh, it's hilarious. I love it. Yeah, it, it has a, a a great sense of humor about itself, and I. But the thing is, I think that's what that's sort of one of the things that um, I think that's that's what's so weird is there's such a split with fans of comics, of sci-fi, of all of that stuff. And you know, you mean we've talked about how like, well a remake can't destroy what came before, and a sequel is a sequel, and stuff like that. But people really tend to take it super personally when their own source material is irreverent about their source material and mm-hmm. like teen Titans go is not treating their hallowed heroes with these, you know, kid gloves or like these jokes that are designed to magnify and raise them up. This is basically something that like the 1966 Batman just, you know, it just embraces the absurdity of the entire concept of superheroism. You know, it's like, eh, this is a kid's thing. Let's just have fun with it. And I think I think that's I think that's that's sort of like the thing where I was talking about this with somebody today. Pro wrestling, like in the eighties, was pro. Everybody knew it was fake. 
nobody thought it was real, but you just didn't talk about it. You just you just went along with it, and you know it was uh it was the wink and the hand, secret handshake, and it was like yeah we we know we know we know just so let us pretend let us pretend, and then as soon as McMahon to get out of I, I forget I, th- I think it was like some sort of insurance waiver or something like that admitted that it was fake. You know, Teen Titans Go is in that sort of spot where like it's going to draw ire because it it breaks down that wall that allows you to pretend like there's something su- inherently super serious about people in tights beating each other up. Yeah. It's it's it really is like a cartoon in the traditional sense and that like I mean like literally like episode 5 they all die mm-hmm. <laughs> and become mm-hmm. ghosts. You know, and they're like so now what? And then in the next episode they're just fine. Yeah. But I, I think the thing that I like about it most is the fact that with rare exceptions actually most of the time they're not fighting crime. They're just doing everyday things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I I, I love about it is like it's you get to see these superheroes just like literally doing their laundry or whatever, you know? Yeah. Like that's what I want to see. That's the show I want to see. What they're doing in between fighting supervillains. But in this context, I'm even more fascinated because Paul Thomas Anderson directing it. Like I'm in, I'm in my head and I'm like so is there like a really long tracking shot while Cyborg <laughs> is being chased around by the monkey? Or like, does Daniel but, Day-Lewis do the voice of Robin for the big screen adaptation? Like, where are we going with this? But like, you, you think about like, you, you're talking about like it's it's unhinged and everything like that. Like, that's how his humor is. Like, you look at Punch Drunk Love, you look at Inherent Vice, it's crazy off the wall comedy. And honestly, you know, and, and you should, I mean, the reason why he's doing this, Phantom Thread Check out Phantom Thread. The humor in that is pretty insane. Okay. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, but at the same time, you're also the person who, on this show, um, you know, just a couple of episodes ago, found the ending of There Will Be Blood to be humorous. You don't so, think it's funny? No, I think it's terrifying. Really? I think it's ab- How on earth do you find that funny? He's, I mean, there's that, literally. I mean that. There's literally a scene where they're running back and forth behind like the back of a bowling alley where you can't see like he's throwing something at someone who's like hiding behind a thing and then they like switch places. I mean, that's like straight out something out of a cartoon. I I would I would say that I guess no, I can't I can't subscribe to the idea that it's funny because like I was I every time I watch the scene, the the only time you're going to get laughter out of me in that scene is like nervous laughter, like oh oh no, oh what no. About, there's only one way this ends. There's what only about I drink your milkshake. That's not. F- have you ever have you ever seen somebody completely lose their mind, <laughs> like go completely off the rails? Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's I, a little. It's a little uncomfortable to watch that scene. Okay. So all right, I was going to put that out there. Gonna put that All out right. there. So. I, I I think it's done for humorous effect, and I think it's pretty funny. You know, There's it's a lot too of bad stuff in that movie. That's funny. It's too bad that I couldn't have a uh, Twitter thread at Phantom Thread and say, "So, Mister mm. Anderson, my friend thinks that that you th- like." Let's just settle the debate. We should ask him. We should go ahead well, and ask him on Twitter. Well, I don't think he's doing it anymore. Unfortunately, he needs to get his own Twitter account. But I did hear an interview with him recently where he was talking about you know. 
they were talking about like, well, Phantom Thread, you know, it's a comedy, but at first you're like, is this a comedy? Should I be laughing? You know, is it supposed to be funny? And he's like, yeah, it is. I think one of the questions which is asked here is someone's like, when are you going to make another comedy? And he's like, I just did. And he talked about how they do, you know, they've been doing, you know, over the years screenings, like there will be blood with like a live score and stuff like that. So he's seen it with an audience and he's found that now that people know what the movie is, now that they've seen it on rewatches, it gets a lot more laughs. People, you know, kind of mm-hmm. realize that it's okay to laugh at this movie because they know where it's going. And I don't know. I, I think I'm in that boat. I don't know. I'm, I, I'm you gonna, know, I, I'm sure that Phantom Thread probably probably is. I just, I'm always no, no. I mean, but there will be blood too, though. You know, I. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna show. I'm, I, it's. It's next week is my birthday, so okay. I get to pick the movie at movie mm-hmm. night with my family, and I'm gonna mm-hmm. show there will be blood to my family who hasn't seen it before, <laughs> and we'll see how many laughs they get. <laughs> They're gonna love it. You know. I really. I really. Are you gonna film this for Instagram or anything like that? I. I want to see their faces when the milkshake scene comes up. <laughs> Okay, you know they can handle yeah. it. We we just watched. Oh, just I'm sure them, they can handle it. I just but I doubt they're going to be laughing. The other night, but yeah, uh, yeah. It, yeah, it'll it'll be it'll be it'll be fun. It'll be fun. Mm-hmm. I'm curious yeah. to see what they think, though. So, okay, now there's one tweet which is the absolute best in this whole thing, where someone and, and I saw this picture back when whoever was posted it online, where it's Paul Thomas Anderson and his wife Maya Rudolph walking down the street. <laughs> Yeah. You've seen this picture? Yes, I have. Okay. Yeah. And everyone was like, he's got a copy of 13 Reasons Why in his jacket pocket. And like I saw the picture like, you know, a few months yeah. ago and I was like, well, I know what my Halloween costume is going to be like this year, you know, <laughs> but someone sent him this picture and said, "Hello Paul, just wondering why you're carrying around a copy of 13 Reasons Why. Did you read it and if so, what are your thoughts?" And his response is, Oh my God, look at the happy couple. What the <laughs> F is this? <laughs> we look like we're going to kill someone. I don't know what that is in my pocket. Probably the back of a magazine. Holy Jesus, can we remove this picture from the world? <laughs> it's not a flattering picture. For anybody it's that the, hasn't seen it, it's not a flattering picture. I think all. you should make it the art this week, to be honest. But um, Sold. All right. <laughs> Done. And we will tag Phantom Thread just so that they know. So, and then this was a recurring theme, you know, which he he did a couple of times. When is Hard Nine coming out? Memorial Day weekend. And then there was another (laughs) one. I I forget, but whenever I see it, I'll I'll let you know. But yes, a few times someone was like, "When is the sequel to this movie coming out?" And he always says Memorial Day weekend. So, well, something that gives me great hope. Something that uh, buoys because, uh, of, of course. Being the internet age, we love to use somebody else's uh, opinion as a validation for our own. But I've had tussles here and there with people who did not enjoy uh, David Lynch's return to Twin Peaks. Uh, One friend who still brings it up like at least once a month is like, and another thing about it, I'm like, look, I just, I like it. Let's just let that go. Okay, let's let it go. But it seems that uh, Mr. Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, his when he was asked about it, uh, said that he was halfway through it. Amazing. Some of it is hard to watch at night. I will completely agree with him that there are some serious, I mean, it's a David Lynch thing. There's some serious nightmare fuel in it. And uh, there, there's actually one episode in particular that like I 
it took me an hour to fall asleep after watching it because I was just like laying there thinking about it. But See, that's that's interesting because like you know. like literally just before we we recorded, I watched two things. I watched Teen Titans Go, and mm-hmm. then I watched episode season two, episode twenty of Twin Peaks. Oh, well, at least Wendell Merle's back by that point. Yeah. It's it's not good. I've got two episodes left in season two. Stick with it, man. Stick and, with it. But it's it's definitely there's no nightmare fuel right now. You know. Um, yeah, it, it's um, a show that uh, you know. I mean, honestly, I, I you know it, it's chronicled so much better in so many other places. And uh, actually, if you want uh, anybody listening, um, Sean Eastridge on his show Missing Frames, I joined him for a Twin Peaks show. Um, because he'd never watched it before. So we actually did a show talking about Twin Peaks and then the first two episodes of the new uh, series, season, whatever you want to call it. And Lynch calls it an 18-hour movie. And then we recorded another one with uh, another person, um, another episode of Missing Frames, talking specifically about the third season. So I'd be interested to get get your read on all of that stuff. But it's it's heartening because to have... You know, Mr. Anderson, uh, you know, agree and, and think that it's amazing. I would love to talk to him even more about it. What is it that specifically he finds amazing? Is it simply the fact that it's somebody in com- obviously given complete control over everything? Like the studio didn't even give him a note about it because I guarantee you, if the studio gave him notes while they were watching this, they were ignored. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I think that, I think it was on like his AMA or on Reddit or something like that. You know, someone asked him like, "What what is your favorite David Lynch movie?" And he said, "Blue Velvet" and "Wild at Heart." So, maybe. I haven't seen "Wild at Heart" still. I haven't seen that one yet either. But "Blue Velvet" is a heck of a choice. Yeah, that, you know, I'd say "Blue Velvet" definitely belongs in sort of the Paul Thomas Anderson sort of feel. Like it, it yeah. sort of belongs there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, someone asked him what his favorite Robert Altman movie was, and he said Nashville, which I don't think is really a surprise at all. I haven't um, seen since that. That was a heavy influence on Magnolia. Okay. So you, you haven't seen Nashville? I haven't. I haven't. It's I've never fine. been a big Altman fan. Really? No. I, I really. love Altman. I love him. But Nashville, I don't think, is one of his better movies. I, I honestly think that, um, I mean, as I watch Altman, it. it Altman is always a, a, like, I watch his stuff, and whenever I watch it, I'm like, yeah, it's okay. Like, I never understand why people were so nuts for him. Like, it always seems like one of those things where the actors who worked with him were, you know, they loved collaborating with him, and so they championed him to the ends of the earth, and I get why people enjoyed working with him, but I... I don't, you know, like, uh, and I'm probably scarred from like the first time I watched MASH because, you know, everybody was like, oh, you got to see MASH, you got to see MASH. And I watched MASH and I was like, it's all right. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's it's fine. You know, I, I don't know. The thing about Altman, he makes, he made so many movies and he made them so quickly. You know, there'd be a new Altman movie every year. And I, I he's, he's like one of those guys where like, if if his one if you know the movie that comes out is crap, it kind of doesn't matter because you're going to get another one, you know, in just a few months anyway. And I, I don't know. I think that they're all pretty consistent, but there's times where they're elevated into something just 
amazing. I mean, to me, the big one, the uh, un- undoubtedly his masterpiece to me is the player. Have you seen? Well, that yeah. I mean, even I, I don't. I have yet to find anybody who doesn't like the player. Yeah. I'd love to find somebody who doesn't like the player because that would be a fascinating conversation. And I mean, th- but there's some like really weird, obscure ones, relatively obscure ones, which I I, I, I don't know. Like, have you ever seen a Secret Honor? No. That I did movie. see. Didn't he do Gosford Park? Yeah, Gosford. Park. I mean, I saw that, that in the movie theater because my friends were like, "Oh, Robert Altman, we gotta go see it." And that yeah. that might have done something to oh. me too because I watched that and I was like, "This is." bad that was like the one where he that was like his comeback almost like, like that was nominated for best picture but you look at like other things it that he was? did right around that time like dr t and the women like that movie is great you know that gets yeah. no credit but that movie is hilarious but well, so should i become an altman fan after you work me over into a soderbergh fan yeah, like Soderberg's I'm trying to figure the, Altman, the hierarchy here. Soderbergh's better than Altman, but Altman is way, way up there. But if you want to see an amazing movie, which no one really talks about, Secret Honor is okay. it's Philip Baker Hall, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, you know, I mean, hey, Sydney and everything like that. Philip yeah. Baker Hall as Nixon in his office right before. Before he's about to resign, so like basically he's he's made the decision to resign, and he's a, basically he's about to do it, right? And it's just an hour and a half of him talking into his microphone, basically giving a monologue about every you know, I mean everything, right? Everything surrounding him at that point in time, but going off on these crazy tangents, and it's basically just like him coming to terms with the fact that, you know, he's about to resign, right? Yeah. The it's amazing. It, it was it was it was originally a stage play that Philip Baker Hall and of course Philip Baker Hall kills in this movie, you know, and Naturally. it was originally like a stage play and basically Altman what he did was he taught a class at I think Michigan State where the idea was basically like, you know, here's how you make a movie. And what he did was, you know, he went over the basics or whatever and then the the class was the crew and they shot the movie there at the university and then released it i mean it's 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 a fantastic movie highly yeah. recommended okay but yeah there's there's a lot of weird cool ones like his john grisham adaptation the gingerbread man starring uh, kenneth branagh where oh, it's like gosh i'd burned out on grisham adaptations by that point because i saw the, rainmaker by coppola Right, and there was right. the firm, which was just blech. yeah, and then there's the the, the Schumacher ones, right? The client oh. and the time to kill, yeah, client and time right? to kill, yeah. So, but like all of those are like a type, right? Where it's yeah. like John Grisham. So now it's like John Grisham, but by Robert Altman. So it's kind of like that story, but told in that sort of like laid back, like, hey guys. There's a a killer on the loose, you know. This lawyer needs to try to figure out what's going on, and he'll get there. But so along it's a low, the way, it, it's a low key, high tension movie. That yeah, seems an interesting pairing. Like okay. there's this chase at the end, and it's like the most most like lethargic chase you've ever seen. And <laughs> I, I, I I love it. I, I <laughs> nothing can be a more lethargic chase than uh, the 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 car chase in Mitchell. So uh, that's true. That's true. But this is like, I don't know, intentionally lethargic. I don't know. <laughs> but all right. Well, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, like, everyone's always, you know, making the joke, and we made the joke. We did a whole series on it, you know, like Paul Thomas Anderson and Paul W.S. Anderson. Yes. You know, Paul yes. W.S. Anderson, the director of Resident Evil. And, stuff. and, of course, someone had to say, what was your impetus to go from the commercial success of Mortal Kombat to the award-winning <laughs> Boogie Nights? Also, please explain <laughs> how you were able to make Resident Evil Retribution and The Master in the same year. <laughs> and he said, "Ted, I'm the Pizza Hut, and I'm I'm at the Pizza Hut and the Taco Bell." So there you go. <sighs> so uh, you know, I uh, I love that. I I do love also when uh, somebody asked him um, the best the the best or worst Daniel Day Lewis to work with. Like which character was yeah. was the worst, and he, I think he said, uh, yeah, he said uh, I liked being in the wide open spaces with Plainview digging for oil, Reynolds House and Reynolds is from uh, Phantom Thread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What well, was a bit claustrophobic? I think Plainview would kill me. However, while Reynolds would just stab you with his wicked tongue, Plainview was less fussy. I say Plainview. So <laughs> he'd go with the. <laughs> He'd go Plainview with the psychopath. Would kill me, but you <laughs> <Yeah>. know what? <laughs> Less annoying than Reynolds. So there you go. <laughs> and then, you know, I mean, just to sort of bring it back to Star Wars, because in one of the interviews that he did or whatever, people are like, what are you looking forward to? And he's like, oh, there's a lot of movies. I want to see like Lady Bird and everything. But right now, you know, just like everyone else, I'm just looking forward to episode eight. And someone said, what are your thoughts on Adam Driver's Kylo Ren? And he says, I heart Kylo Ren, but I heart Ray Moore. What's going to happen? Question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. So there you go. Somebody's excited about episode nine. Yes. Yes. I noticed he didn't mention the resistance subplot. Interesting. Nobody seems to mention that one. He only had like 280 characters. That was the reason. That was the reason. Yes. Yes, Someone indeed. asked him what his, his favorite De Palma movie was. He said Untouchables. I don't know about that. I mean, it seems a safe bet, though, because what are you going to pick? Right? I'm going to pick Mission Impossible myself, you know, but... Yeah, I'm not going to give that over over Untouchables. But I mean, I mean Untouchables like, even... seems kind of the mainstream. I mean, I know, obviously, Mission Impossible was, like, when I think about, like, De Palma, like, as true De Palma, you know... I don't know. Another one that I love, which everyone else hates, is Snake Eyes. I haven't seen Snake Eyes, but oh, I know that one that gets overlooked a lot is Raising Cain. Well, wait a minute. No. You know what? I have to give my favorite De Palma movies. Got to go to Carlito's Way. Okay. I still haven't seen that one. Oh, God. I, and, but the thing is, it's not because it's a perfect movie. It's not even because it's Pacino's best performance. It's not even because uh, you know an actress I, have, I had a tremendous screen crush on is in it. It's... Because Sean Penn doing his riff on Alan Dershowitz as a scumbag defense attorney is so amazing. Like, it it is seriously one of those types of performances where you know how everybody makes reference to Alec Baldwin and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Mm -hmm. When you say Sean, think of the whole history of Sean Penn performances. When you say Sean Penn to me, I think of Kleinfeld from Carlito's Way. Yeah. And so that in and of itself, that has got to be my favorite De Palma film. Also, very surprisingly touching ending. 
So it's is one of those movies where because I went to see that movie De Palma um, yeah. when it came out, and which I think is on. It was on Prime. I I, th- I think it might still be. Um, and you know he goes through his entire career movie by movie, and then mm-hmm. like the theater that I saw it at was then showing like a De Palma festival. They didn't show Mission Impossible, which was upsetting, but they did show Untouchables <laughs> in seventy millimeters, so that was cool. But um, you know, like I, I had to like you know because I had to kind of pick and choose what I was going to see because I couldn't like just stay there the entire week, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm going to go see Untouchables, and I'm going to go see this, whatever. And then when I saw him talk about Carlito's Way, I was like, damn, I picked the wrong, I should have picked Carlito's Way, you know, but I, I so I, I do need to check that out for sure, for sure. It's, it's, it, Pacino's performance in it is odd because sort of like post, I w- I'm going to say post Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, because like I never as as fun as it is to watch him in Scent of a Woman, it really is a caricature as opposed to a performance. Um, and so, like, that's sort of like the breaking point because there was a time where you could always tell when the the scenes were filmed earlier in the process than later with Pacino movies after that point because... They're just you. You could sit there. You could just tell that he hadn't like quite figured out the character. Like in Heat, there are a couple of scenes where you can tell that he's not been reined in yet. Yeah. That he he hasn't found his his true north uh, for the character yet. And Carlito's Way has a couple of moments like that where it's like you can tell. But then once it evens out, you're like, okay, yeah, I, I can tell all of this was filmed later in the process, sort of yeah. thing. So okay. Well, okay, here, there's, there's one last thing here. Now, you've seen The Master, right? I haven't. Oh, my God. I know, right? I have to see The Master. I've wanted... See, th- this is the thing. This is the thing. Is like, I bemoan the fact constantly that I am a lover of film. I am a fan of Paul Thomas Anderson. But it is tough to get out to the theater, right? Okay, well, why don't you stream it? Well... You know, like it's that tsunami of stuff where it's like you've got that ever expanding playlist and the master is eternally on it. What I need is I need for it to like just show up in a recommended queue when I'm just like scanning Netflix one night and I guarantee you I'll start it right then. It's sort of like Wolf of Wall Street. I wanted to see that. I wanted to rent it. I wanted and I just couldn't get around to it. And then it showed up on the Netflix recommended and I was like, awesome. I just went like right in. So, but yeah, I, I very much want to see the master. Okay. All right. Well, sooner or later, sooner or later. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay, fine. Then, then we'll, we'll end with this one. Okay. Because okay. it is the eternal question, I guess. Um, mean girls, bridesmaids or girls trip. He says <sighs> brides, he says, come on, man, bridesmaids. Really? Hmm. I haven't seen girls trip yet. Nor I know he's I. a big fan, and Tiffany Haddish, apparently he wants to work with, you know, really, really badly. So mm-hmm. I need to check that out. But to me, it, it's got to be Mean Girls. I have to push on this. I haven't seen any of these. Oh, God. I know, well, Watch right? Mean Girls first, and then, you know, as, as, uh, as, as Jason Isaac says, it's the Citizen Kane of... High school movies. So wait a minute. Better than Bring It On. Well, that's what he says. I, it's not, but that's okay. what he says. I was, I was yeah. going to say, but I will. 
I will. You know what? I, I feel like I've disappointed you and the audience uh, with, with, with these whiffs on the last two. So I will just say that at least we know that a certain prosthetic from a film that he made is um, in the actor's possession. So yeah, which I wonder if he actually meant that or not. Because well, up until like th- throughout all the press for that movie, he insisted that it wasn't a prosthetic. And then finally, on the commentary, he admitted it. Yeah, no, there's, there's no way that, that no, no, no. <laughs> but he insisted. He insisted that it was real for, the, for up, up until the DVD came out. So, see, that's one of those props where I imagine that it kind of, or I guess it's not a prop. Well, I guess it is a prop. I don't know. Yeah, it's a, and part of somebody, the costume, though. Isn't yeah, it? well, it was, it was, it was, it was makeup. You know, it was done by uh, Berger and Nicotero, the guys who do, you know, Walking Dead and From Dusk Till Dawn and all the Tarantino movies and everything. Yeah. So I, it's makeup, I think, technically is what it is. Okay. Well, if it's technically makeup, I mean, you know, I imagine that's a prop that's like, you know, actors always want to take, like take a piece of, you know, something home from the movie or whatever. And like usually the studios, no, we want to keep this for archival things. I can imagine that's one where like Wahlberg was like, can I take this? Yep. It's cool. <laughs> yes. It's cool. For sure, for sure. Okay, okay, fine, fine. Then we'll 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 leave on this since it's universal. Okay. Okay. Pizza or pasta, the world needs to know. And he says pizza. Yeah. Because he's he's a human being. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So all right. Yeah. Good to know Absolutely. that Paul Thomas Anderson is a human being. Yes. Yes indeed. And if people want to uh drill in deeper to your humanity, Mike, where can they find you online? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K, and you can find me on Trek.fm doing a show called The Edge and another show on Trek.fm called Stage 9 with you. That's right. We both do Stage 9 over on Trek.fm. And here on the Nerd Party Network, you can also find me co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations with Matthew Rushing, and you can find me out in the ether co-hosting Words with Nerds with my pal Craig. And if you're a pretty good speller, you can find me online as Kessel Junkie. So thank you for joining us as we discussed one of our favorite directors and his uh, his fun answers on Twitter. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next week when you're going to get this horror fan's reaction to Get Out. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.